Folks, we made it. We made it, man. Last day of the year, we made it. You look like you're not excited about that. I'm not, I don't know. I'm excited I made it here. After this year, I'm excited I made it. So give yourself a round of applause to our online community. Come on, if you know you've been through some stuff this year, it wasn't all easy. We made it. This morning, I woke up with a song that just kept repeating as I was brushing my teeth, as I was getting ready, kept repeating in my mind. And it goes, Oh, happy day. You know that one? Oh, happy day. I'm going to try one more time. After I say, Oh, happy day, you say, Oh, happy day. Then I'll say it again. You say, Oh, happy day. One more time. Oh, happy day. Oh, yeah. Oh, happy day. And then it goes, When Jesus was. I'm not going to make y'all do all of that. <laughs> You're like, whoa, he's going somewhere. I can't go there. But what struck me about that song as I was reciting it this morning was, I don't think God gave me that song this morning <clears throat> because every day is a happy day. Because it isn't. And I don't think he gave me that song this morning because I'm happy every day. If you ask my wife, you know for a fact I'm not. I think he gave me that song to remind me of what it says in the next line after that. He washed my sins away. Amen. And then it goes on to say, he taught me how to fight and pray. And for so many of us, this year has been a fight. We've had to fight. We've had to pray and wrestle with the Lord. And we've had to do that because of our sin, the sin that he washed away. And the biggest reality, the biggest takeaway from me that I learned just in reading this passage that we're going to talk about today is that the ongoing effects of sin demand an overwhelming need for the gospel. The ongoing effects of sin, they demand an overwhelming need for the gospel and the ongoing effect of sin is really the destruction of my soul. When this is happening, man, I tend to grow impatient. I can be overwhelmed by my past. I, I could be overwhelmed by my own brokenness. And then I struggle to accept the healing that is there for me. And I can lose sight of the source of my true hope. The ongoing effect of sin really causes the gradual decay of our holy morality. That gradual decay is the result of a trajectory traveled over time. When God brought us into this world, it's as if we were shot out of a cannon. It was like, man, we had unlimited potential. As it stands right now, last day of 2023, what trajectory are you on? Where are you headed? Sometimes our trajectory is filled with trauma. Things happen to us. Sinful decisions we make. Past hurts, grudges that we may have against somebody. Those things can degrade my soul 
like how water erosion degrades the integrity of massive rocks, roads, and even buildings. In fact, erosion is the most powerful and prevalent culprit of destruction and degradation on earth. Erosion is the most powerful and prevalent form of destruction and degradation on the earth. And in the same way, soul erosion is the most powerful tool of Satan to degrade our faith over time and to weaken our ability to resist him. It's slow. It's subtle. But it's severe. When we allow pleasure to lead us into a place of compromise against God, erosion. When we use anger sometimes as a way to protect ourselves and avoid being vulnerable and truthful, erosion. When we produce and work and toil and stress and labor and go hard, and then we don't take that time to rest and play and do things that bring holy joy and have fun, Erosion. Sometimes we tell a little lie here and there. Maybe even fudge on the taxes a little bit. We're just lying to ourselves and then we lie to God and that's, that causes further erosion. From the moment the Israelites decided that God's choice was not enough for them, there was a transition that took place and their trajectory began the process, the trajectory changed, and the process of erosion began. We'll be looking at the book of Numbers chapter 21, and this book is not only an anthology of God's loving kindness and grace towards an undeserving people like ourselves as they left bondage and left Egypt. It is the record of what it looks like when soul erosion is fully grown. Furthermore, it is the proof of how the ongoing effects of sin demand an overwhelming need of gospel and the ability to stave off and stop moral decay and spiritual erosion is only found in Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, I come before you confessing I'm empty. Sometimes I think I got it, but I don't. So I ask that through me, Lord, you would give to these people only what you can offer. Healing, restoration, and hope for tomorrow. Clear our minds, take away distractions. May we focus in on what your spirit wants to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May we stand together for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9 says this. They travel from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and they spoke against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. This food is trash. I can't eat this no more. It has no seasoning. 
Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and spoke against you. Pray to the Lord that he would take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord then says to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. He put it on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake, they looked at it. They looked at the bronze snake and they lived. You may be seated. First thing I realized upon reading Numbers chapter 21 is that one of the ongoing effects of sin is that it erodes my ability to wait on God. One of the ongoing effects of sin is that it erodes my ability to wait on God. Verse 4 says, they travel from Mount Or along the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. The same Red Sea served as a reminder of God's presence and power. It was not too long ago in the most dramatic and historical ways that 600,000 people walked out of Egypt, escaping a tyrannical maniac named Pharaoh. They walked on dry land across an entire body of water. Yo, that was a miracle. I'm sure they was up. They was up, as we call it. That's how we say in the slang. They was, we up. They was lit. We good. <laughs> the devil, uh, get thee behind me. But they grew impatient along the way. Their mission was laid out to them. They were supposed to walk into the promised land, land of milk and honey. In other words, opportunity and wealth and growth and flourishing, great community, constant communication and relationship and fellowship with the God of the universe. But along the way, before they got there, they got tired of waiting. Every single one of those Israelites made it out of Egypt safely in the book of Exodus. Then a few books later in the book of Numbers where we are now, from chapter 14 to, verse, to chapter 21 where we are, things literally went from bad to worse. Let me tell you a couple things that happened. Number one, they sent out 12 spies to spy Jericho, to look out Jericho to see what was going on. Ten of those 12 spies come back with a bad report and they start spreading fear and doubt in the entire camp of Israel, hundreds of thousands of people. And they do that against God's better judgment. Erosion. Korah, who is one of the spiritual leaders in the, in the Israelite camp, amongst the Jews, he sparks a rebellion and then he tries to incite a coup to remove Moses from leadership. Erosion. Moses and Aaron strike the rock twice. Some of us know the story. Instead of speaking in faith, they strike the rock twice in anger. And then they're told by God himself, you cannot see this promised land either. Erosion. Aaron, Moses' right-hand man, and his biological brother, he then dies in the wilderness. You get the picture. Folks, when God builds, what God builds lasts. When God builds something, what God builds, it lasts. 
when God built the world, he did it in stages. It has outlasted centuries. When God built the Israelite people, he took over decades this small group of nomadic people traveling in the middle of nowhere with no God and no religion. He turned them into an advanced society. They've endured catastrophic suffering and they're still here today. When God knit you in your mother's womb, when he fearfully and wonderfully knitted you together and crafted and woven every cell in your body, he did it in stages. You're not a mistake. You're a message. You're not a by chance set of random circumstances. You're full of purpose. You are not a cosmic coalescence. That would be a contradiction. Instead, get this, you are a combination of confident decisions crafted by your almighty creator. Come on, somebody. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, and we all with unveiled faces, which means we know the truth about God, we're beholding the glory of God and we're being transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. Yo, when you glow up in Christ, he does it in stages and you can't skip any steps. God built the promised land for your life. You got to wait on it. I'm an ambitious person. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where ambition on its own is a bad thing. I'm also a person with a lot of faith. I dream big. I believe in God for bigger. But sometimes my ambition outruns my faith. Sometimes I want the dream so quickly, I made some dumb decisions. I've mismanaged my family's finances. I've gone ahead of God's plan and tried to fast track my destiny. I traded in what I call a later greater for a I need it now. A recent period of waiting in my life when God did a miracle after I just, I'm going to stop activity. I'm going to seek God and I'm going to wait. I put it out there to him. He knows my, I'm just going to wait on him in this matter. Then God showed up in a powerful way. And it was at that moment when God did this miracle. I realized, wow, I think I've missed out on a lot of things that God had for me in my journey because, honestly, I was just afraid to fail. There's a term in Freudian psychoanalysis. Don't that make me sound smart? <laughs> Freudian psychoanalysis. Anyway, there's a term in Freudian psychoanalysis known as the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle is the instinctual seeking of pleasure and avoidance of pain to satisfy biological and psychological needs. Let me say that again. The pleasure principle known in Freudian psychoanalysis is the instinctual seeking of pleasure and avoidance of pain to satisfy biological and psychological needs. I'm not talking about going to the bathroom. I'm talking about I want it so bad I can't wait. According to Freud, the pleasure principle is the driving force guiding the id. I don't know how they come up with these stuff, but the id, the most basic part of ourselves is what the id is. The id that Freud was talking about, I believe that's the flesh. And when we feed the flesh, when we cut corners to avoid temporary pain, 
we hurt ourselves, we end up hurting others, and then we delay God's plan for our lives if we continue on that trajectory, and then slowly or slowly our soul begins to erode, and then we start to experience spiritual death. Interesting thing about impatience is that in order for one to be impatient, they have to know that something is up ahead that they long for. So here's a self-diagnosis question, and we'll do a couple of these that I'm going to ask you and give you just a moment to think on. Am I experiencing closed doors or roadblocks because I rushed into something God didn't provide for me? Am I experiencing closed doors or roadblocks because I may have rushed into something a little too fast that God didn't provide for me? Second thing I learned from Numbers chapter 21 is that one of the ongoing effects of sin is that it erodes our future by having us live in the past. It erodes our future by having us live in the past. Verse 5 says, The Jews spoke out against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Yo, this food is trash. There's no seasoning on it. By saying this, in effect, what they were saying was, Egypt was better. Bondage was better. The abuse was better. The demonic control was better. It was painful, but it was predictable. It was uncomfortable, but somehow knowing what to expect, even though it was weird and toxic, it gave a false sense of comfort. Some theologians say that Israel was in transition. There were still some folks from the older generation that had been told that they couldn't enter the promised land, that they were still around. Others say that the newer generation of Israelites who were there, they sort of were just behaving just like their parents did. I think it's a little bit of both. I think they inherited a, a mission for sure, but I believe they also inherited a mindset. When we grow weary in the hard thing, that's a good thing. That's a God thing. We tend to gaze through our rearview mirror for just a few seconds too long. And when we're traveling ahead, and what do you think happens when we gaze back for too long? We crash out. Some of us look back at our family history, the same demons, the same addictions, the same enemies that our parents were conquered by. We found ourselves facing them today. Previous generation, some of which might have still been alive, they disobeyed. And they were told back in Numbers chapter 14, you cannot enter this promised land. They tried to fight battles anyway without the help of the Lord. And look what happened to them. It says in Numbers chapter 14, verse 44 to 45. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormon. They got beat down. It took a beat down. Punks jump up to get beat. Let me, I'm sorry. So old, it's only too old for some of y'all. Fast forward a couple scenes later, chapter 21. What happens? The Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming. He attacked the Israelites and he captured some of them. Then Israel made a vow to the Lord. 
They said, if you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel and he listened to their plea and he gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns. So the place was called Hormah. Did you catch that? The very enemy that their ancestors were beat down by, the next generation fully destroyed. The same vices that our family members fought against were crushing them now. We made a vow to Jesus. We gave our lives to them. Some of us have trusted in him daily. But then sometimes when it gets too tough, we look back in that rearview mirror for a little bit too long. We miss that moment. And then we crash in a dish. But I know for a fact the Jewish people and us today, we don't want that predictable pain. We don't want that. Yeah, we inherited some trauma. We inherited some addictive behaviors. Yeah, we have some leftover baggage like an airport. But we have the promises of Jesus now. Amen? So I want to encourage you. You are more than the sum of your past and all of your family's history. You are more than the sum of your past and all of your family history. It's not all your fault why the way you are or how you are, but it is on you to seize the opportunity and the promises that, are, that we're meant to inherit today. The erosion of our future stops when we leave our past in the hands of Jesus. A television personality and a stand-up comedian recently said this, you are not responsible for the mistakes of your family, but you have the responsibility to make sure those mistakes are never repeated. You're not at fault for the sins of your family's past and what they've experienced, but you do have the responsibility and the opportunity today to make sure those sins are never repeated in your family history. So here's self-diagnosis question number two. As I drive ahead in my future, am I keeping company with emotionally healthy people who believe in the future emotional, spiritual, and physical success God has for them and for me? As I drive ahead into my future, am I keeping company with emotionally healthy people who believe in the future emotional, spiritual, and physical success that God has for them and for me, because if we're driving in through life or we're in alone, alone, or we're in a car full of people who don't really have hope and they're super negative and they don't really understand that there's an opportunity for healing, I think we need to drop some people off. They got to go. If their last memory of when God did something amazing was 15, 20 years ago and they can't really pinpoint how God is moving today... I think we need to rethink some of our associations. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33. And that's really why God was getting rid of that Israelite generation that had grumbled against God and were being very negative and not seeing the opportunity that God had put before them. 
The biggest takeaway from this last day of the year that God spoke to me through this message, through Numbers chapter 21, verses 6 through 9, it's here in this passage. And here's what it reads. Then the Lord said, sent venomous snakes among them. Other versions say fiery red snakes. They bit the people and many of the Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and spoke against you. Oh, Lord. Oh, we sinned against you. He just told them. And this is what we do sometimes. We turn right back around and we say, God, I'm sorry. I know you told me. I'm in this mess now that you told me I would get into. But, But please. So they go to Moses and they say, Moses, pray for us. So Moses does what he's called to do. He prays for them. And the Lord says back to Moses, Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone is bitten, they can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake. He put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by that snake, they looked at the bronze snake and then they lived. Folks, the ultimate reality that we're faced with as we serve as, as, we, as we read verses 6 through 9 in Numbers chapter 21, is that the ongoing effects of sin erodes our ability to save ourselves. The ongoing effects of sin demolishes our ability to save ourselves. It proves to us time and time again that with every sin and every pitfall we experience, with all the things that happen to us, over time, the security that we have built up for ourselves It erodes into dust. Here's what one commentary says about this beautiful scripture here. It says, the serpent is often used in the Bible to represent evil. However, in the Bible, bronze is associated with judgment because it's made with fire. In a sense, bronze receives the fire of judgment as it is made. So a bronze serpent speaks of evil, but evil having been judged. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us on the cross. Our sin was judged in Jesus. A bronze serpent is a picture of evil judged and dealt with. That's gangster. The snake is not magical. But to peer at the snake and to look upon the snake with clarity at the evil that I have done, is to also see and weigh with precise precision, with precision, the just judgment upon that evil through Christ being lifted on the cross. The bronze snake being forged in the fire is the judgment against my own sin. The eyes that I give to glance at this snake is all the faith I have and need to reserve my own reconciliation to Jesus and to my maker. Here's another comment that the commentary says. The people were not saved by the people were saved not by doing anything, but simply by looking at the bronze serpent. They had to trust that something that seemed to be as foolish as looking at a serpent on a pole was enough to save them. It is likely that some in Israel perished because they thought that it was too foolish and too simple to simply look and live. We cannot manifest a moment enough or a moment significant to save us. We cannot comprise conditions or confidence enough to sustain us. 
We can, however, look upon the snake, stare at our own sin, and stare in the faith of it, in the face of it, and say, in faith, dear sin, you have been judged. My sin has been paid for through Jesus on the cross, and as I fix my eyes on him, Christ has made it so. We were in John 3 two Sundays ago, and Pastor Jonathan talked about John 3.16, which is one of the most famous Bible verses in the world. You know how it goes. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But the interesting thing is two verses before that in 14 and 15, Jesus actually references that moment in the wilderness with Moses, the Israelites, the bronze snake, and God. Here's what Jesus says in his own words. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, referring to himself, must be lifted up, that everyone believes who believes may have eternal life in him. So church, can I ask you today, has the cross of Christ been a little bit too simple and foolish for you? Has our souls eroded a bit this year? And been worn down to the point where we need to look with hope upon something greater than ourselves. What trajectory are you on? If you continue in that trajectory, do you know where you'll land? The symbols you are looking at they'll be very familiar to you. They're from some of the most notable organizations in the world. And they use that logo to speak something. And they all have something in in common. They represent healing. They attempt to speak healing to a world in need and they signal to the injured and the wounded person, we can help. When Jesus was crucified, It was as if a signal went off and it was broadcasted to the entire ancient world and to the future world today saying, I am the help that you seek. The interesting thing about the bronze snake is that when Moses was lifted up, the writer says, then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. There's a hidden clause of permanence here. The biting doesn't completely stop. And the opportunity to live doesn't go away. But the reality is, and I know this is tough to hear and this is a heavy message. But we don't have promise tomorrow. Like we don't don't know what's going to happen. Jesus is knocking. He's here. He's ready to heal us. He's ready to offer us the peace that he came to give. And if you sense today that you need to make that faith step to become closer to him, to maybe repent, to leave some things behind in the past, to drop some people off and make a decision to live things differently, please come to the front when the next song starts and rededicate and restart your life. We're going to ask at this time that anybody from the prayer team who's willing would come down to the front and stand on the right side. But also as the next song is going and as a worship team sings, feel free to come to this side of the platform.
to rededicate, to just pray, to seek Jesus on your own. No one will bother you. There's also people in the prayer room in the back to your right that be willing to pray with you and meet you in your need. But Jesus is with you. And there's hope. And we have opportunity to come before him today in this last day of the year and start afresh. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we desperately need you. We ask you by your grace and your faith in us that you would meet us in our need and that we would take our faith, put it in you, and believe that you're the one that can transform and heal us today. Lord, we are looking ahead at great opportunities, growth, new things that you're doing. We want to be in the right position to receive all that you have for us. So begin a work in us today, Lord God, in this message. Speak your truth over your children. And as they come forward in faith, heal them and meet their needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.